Thank you so much that your word is a light to our pathway. It's a lamp to our feet. It shines on how and where we should go. Your word is a voice in our ear. It is the wind of the spirit in our sails at our back. We thank you, Lord God, that your word is a sword in our hand so that we need not fear any enemy because we know that your word and your light and your life are guiding us. As we come to the time of study of your word today, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds to hear and to receive from you, to receive and believe and act upon what you say to us today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Don't worry, I've got you covered. Hey, cover my back. Did he cover this with you? Did you cover that when you were in class? Did they cover that in your training? Cover. So many different ways that that word and that concept gets used. There's a line of makeup, or at least there used to be. I'm not expert on this, I admit, but it's called CoverGirl. You know what that's named for? Those beautiful supermodels that grace the covers of magazines, right? And there's something very particular about that, not just for models, but for anybody. When they, when they have the person of, of the year for Time Magazine, that person's on the cover, right? Every book has a cover. So covering, it's all around us and used in so many ways. And each one of the things that I've just mentioned is probably familiar to you and describes some particular aspect of this notion that covering involves, as I've just described, the presentation, the, the, the observation, the, the visage, the face of something. It also involves the information, the laying out, the detailing, the describing of important information. And it involves protection, provision, something of being covered and being qualified and being characterized by the things that I've just described, by the details that are involved. I want to talk in this concluding segment on the full, the whole, the total armor of God about the covering of Christ. You know, Christ, as I've mentioned before, is not Jesus' last name. Last names were a convention that didn't really exist in the time in which Jesus was alive as a human being here on earth. It was not part of that culture particularly. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's not first name Jesus, last name Christ. It's Jesus who is the Christ. Christ is an adjective as well as a noun. It's a descriptive term. And what it is is the Greek form of the Hebrew term Messiah or Mashiach, which means anointed. And anointed means covered in oil anointed, covered in some kind of fluid. The oil was a balm in ancient, uh, the ancient Near Eastern world. That is to say, a medicine, something that would bring healing. Oil was also something which could be scented, fragrant, and so it was a kind of perfume. And it also had a um, characteristic uh, of producing shine, producing gleam. Of course, oil can also be lit. So it's power, it's fuel. All of these are wrapped up in the symbolism of a kind of sacrament 
that was carried out with royal personages, with priestly persons, which is that somebody in a high office, like king or priest, was anointed with oil as a recognition that God was putting his covering on them, that God was saying, I choose this one, I designate this one as belonging to me, and I cover this one with my presence. So oil in its flow, in its power, in its life, in its fragrance, in its healing, is all a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Lord was saying, I cover and I fill this leader with my spirit. And the most anointed one is the Mashiach, one who is both priest and king, who is also prophet. For is it not by the Holy Spirit that one prophesies? And is it not by the Holy Spirit that one rules? And is it not by and in the Holy Spirit that one prays and moves and mediates on behalf of people? So that's what we mean when we say that Jesus is the Christ. We mean he is the one chosen by God and filled with God's Spirit. Yes, Jesus Christ is himself God eternal, but he divested himself. He gave away that privilege. He laid down his divine authority when he came down to earth and covered himself in us. He covered himself in flesh. In other words, he became a human being, fully man, yet fully God, but not holding on to the privileges of God, but instead, like any other human being, like you and me, what he said was, I will call upon the Spirit of God. I will bow before the name of God. I will look to the Father to fill me with the Spirit, and by the Spirit, I will be anointed. And what Jesus said to those who would follow him was, be like me, follow me. In other words, come unto me and be covered by me. He who had covered himself in flesh came to people of the flesh to say, now you can be covered in the spirit. Do you remember that after Jesus died and rose again, and before he ascended to the Father, he said, you will be clothed, he said to his followers, to his apostles, his disciples, you will be clothed with power from on high. You will be covered by the Holy Spirit. You and I in this room, we're using these to cover our face, right? And it's a protection, a protection for you, although they tell us maybe not very much for you, but it's more of a protection for others, apparently. But what we recognize in something like this is that covering not only reveals something about who you are, it shows something outwardly, that, that, that cover girl uh, capacity, but it also provides a kind of protection and provision. And Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit is all about that. In fact, let me say that if it doesn't sound uh, too frivolous, the body of Christ, which is the church, that's you and me, followers of Jesus, that's you. The bride of Christ, as the scriptures refer to us, is the cover girl of Christ. It is God's beauty covering us. And not just covering, but equipping, armoring, empowering, healing, filling, and fulfilling. And that's what we've been talking about 
when we've been talking about the whole armor of God over these last eight weeks, including today. I want to come to the final element that we will discuss today, which is the cloak of zeal. But you don't find that phrase referred to in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul puts a cover, a cap, on his description of the whole armor of God by talking about praying in the Spirit. But I think that there is a parallel between this activity, this concept of praying in the Spirit, and the covering of the cloak of zeal that is described in Isaiah chapter 59, an Old Testament passage where the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, speaking to the people of Israel, speaking to the people of Judah, is also describing the Lord in the covering, in the armament of his holiness. In fact, what Isaiah calls garments of vengeance. We'll come to that in a moment, but let's take this opportunity to once again, for the last time in this series, look at Ephesians chapter 6 and the passage at hand. Finally, says Paul, now that you understand who Christ Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he's made you, how he's brought you and me all together in one spirit under one Father for one purpose, which is that the battle can be won. Finally, then, be strong in that knowledge, in that Lord, and in his mighty power, his anointing. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against people. It's not flesh and blood that we are fighting with. It's powers principalities, rulers in the heavenlies, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil. When he says in the heavenly realms, you know that what he's referring to is in the spirit realm. He's not saying there are dark forces in heaven in the sense of the abode of God. He's talking about here on earth, but they're invisible. You can't see them, but like the wind, you can see what they do. You can see their effect. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, Paul is talking here about any time and every time that those things which oppose God seem to be rising. Is it the day of evil today? I'll tell you, it's the Lord's day. It's a good day to praise the Lord. But in the world around us, the principalities and powers are going wild with evil. And it is a day of evil. But there are darker days ahead. Should we be afraid of that? No, by no means, because you are the light. Not in and of yourself, but because you have the oil of the Holy Spirit in your lamp. Because you, who have been clothed in the character of Christ, are now to be lighted with the Spirit of Christ. To stand against the darkness and shine the light of the Lord. And after having done all of that, you won't be able to be put out. The devil won't be able to snuff you out. Because you will be standing in the things of the Lord. Lord, with the belt of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness over your heart, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the good news that God says, peace on earth, goodwill to people from God. And in addition to all of this, you have the shield of faith that as you raise your faith, it, it puts out the fiery darts of the enemy and aligns you with your brother and sister to the right and to the left. A phalanx of the Lord, armored, in the shields of faith, with the helmet of salvation on your head and the sword of the Spirit in your hand, in your heart, in your mouth, in your mind, which is the Word of God. Oh, how powerful and potent is the Scripture. Oh, how powerful and potent is the Word of the Spirit in your mouth. Be praying in the Holy Spirit in these days. 
Use the prayer language that God has gifted you. And if you have not received that gift of spiritual tongues, ask the Lord for it. Ask God for it. The scripture itself says, ask for the greatest gifts. And when the Holy Spirit prays through you with groanings too deep to be uttered, there is edification that happens within. There's clarification that shines without. And there is also interpretation that God by his spirit will give so that the body can be built up on its most holy faith. And then in all these things, in all these ways, you and I are equipped to say these words with me that are bolded here in gold. Pray in the spirit. Will you say that? Pray in the spirit. That means praying in spiritual language of tongues. That means praying with the understanding that is informed by the Holy Spirit. That means praying literally the scriptures, speaking the scriptures aloud in your home, in your workplace, on your street, speaking it in your car, speaking it in your heart, into your relationships. As you speak the Spirit, you are speaking the Word. You are speaking the scriptures. That's prayer in the Spirit. It also means having that attitude, that character of Christ. Not giving in to the place of fear, of doubt, of depression, of desperation. And if you're struggling with those things, then bringing those things to the Lord. Like it says in Philippians 4, rejoicing that the Lord is at hand and trusting him to hold on to your concerns and allowing his peace to march like a sentinel soldier armored around your heart. On all occasions, with all kinds of prayer, always alert, praying for all the Lord's people. Oh, let us be praying for one another. I'm praying for you. You're praying for me, for Sister Hazel, for my family, for the church, for the leaders. We feel it. We know it. We thank God for it. We thank you for it. We thank God for you. Pray also for one another and know that we are praying for you. Even right now, I declare to you that are here and you that are far off, that the blessing of the Lord covers you right now by the power of His Holy Spirit with an anointing of grace, with a blessing of health, with an infusion of strength, with a light of clarity, with the firm foundation of hope in Christ Jesus. And so, as Paul said, I say also, keep praying for me so that I would have, whenever I speak, the word of the Lord and the Spirit of God in my mouth, in my mind, and in our church. Hallelujah. The full, whole armor of God is not just a list of symbols. It's more than just a suite of useful metaphorical analogies. Certainly, that literary quality is provided for in the text of Ephesians and elsewhere in the scriptures. But make no mistake, Paul's not just making an analogy He's actually referring to a reality. And the reality is that the full character of Christ has all these different elements that produce fruitfulness in us, faithfulness through us, and effectual, powerful works by us. The works of God, as Ephesians 2.10 says, that he prepared for us to do as we come into conformity with the full character of Christ, as we put on Christ the way he has put on us. So Paul has detailed all of these things. I've been referring to them as the PPE of the scriptures, the personal protective equipment of the Holy Spirit. 
Listen, if you work in the medical community right now, you want and need your PPE, right? And when you go into that place, you have that on. But what about in the spirit? Will you walk into the darkness of this world and not have upon you the full character of Christ? Then you can expect to be infected by the darkness that is around us. But if you want to defeat the darkness, then receive the whole armor of God. Amen? And in that, pray in the Spirit. I'll say again, this world has little notion how powerful prayer is. How joyful, how jubilant. Are you feeling in these days like joy is something gone? Like it died? Like it crawled under the bed? It hid beneath the sink? It went running down the street? Not so. Joy is here alive in Christ. And if you and I aren't feeling that joy, the Lord knows and understands, but he also invites you to feel again the joy of the Lord because Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. Pandemic didn't change the Messiah. Nothing of our world, no injustice, no crime, no fault, no error, no prejudice, no delusion, no persuasion can possibly alter who God is, who Christ is. But what Christ does is alter all of that. What God does is bring righteousness where it's lacking and bring justice where it's broken. What God does is bring compassion to those who have lacked compassion and healing to the sick and liberty to the captive and sight to the blind. These are the things that God does. Enjoy them. Rejoice in them. Rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what the outward situation is, because you're covered in the character of Christ and you are held in the hand of the Lord. You are in the heart and mind of God. Find his joy. Let it flow to you in these days. Pray in the Spirit. Read in the Word. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, all of this is very encouraging to you, I hope, but I want to take you to that passage in Isaiah 59 where the Lord talks about putting on his armor, and he refers to it as garments of vengeance. So I need you to sort of buckle in for a minute, strap in, because it's going to get a little bumpy here. We're going to hear some hard things from God. Hold with me in this, because I want to remind you that even when the Lord speaks in a disciplining way, it reveals his love. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. In Isaiah 59, we have a whole chapter in which Isaiah is talking about a world we recognize because it's our world, even though it's a world that's over 2,500 years ago. Nevertheless, it's a world we recognize. It's a world where people who say they belong to God and who say that they are concerned with the things of God, nevertheless, have turned their back on God. They put on the artificial outward look of being religious but inwardly, their hearts are dedicated to other things, other idols, other priorities. They use the things of God to gain the things they want. They manipulate through religious tradition, and they also uh, pontificate and parade with these outward signs of holiness, totally lacking in inward holiness. It's not that there's no 
righteous people, although it is fair to say no one is righteous without the Lord, but there are those that are faithful to God, but what God sees is a society that has largely turned away. He also sees a society in which those who are poor, those who are foreigners, those who are outcasts, are mistreated, are put down, are neglected, or manipulated. He sees a society in which people who have power use their power against others. He sees a society in which people who reject the things of the Lord are bold in rejecting the things of the Lord and put forward their own philosophies. And the Lord is displeased. And this is how the prophet of the Lord describes it. Truth is nowhere to be found. Anyone who does shun evil, who says, no, I won't be part of that evil because that's not of God, becomes prey to evil. In other words, the spiritual powers that oppose God prey upon any people who stand with God. That's what the Lord sees. He's displeased because he looks and sees that there isn't justice. He's appalled that there's no one that seems to be willing to intervene. So his own arm achieves salvation for him. He reaches down with his own righteousness to rectify the world. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. You recognize this terminology. Paul borrows it from Isaiah. He puts on the helmet of salvation. Again, Paul, by the Spirit, is appealing to what the Spirit told Isaiah hundreds of years earlier. But here, the Spirit says through Isaiah that God put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal. Zeal here in the Hebrew is a word that means passion. In fact, it can refer elsewhere to jealousy. It's the kind of love that says, you belong to me and I don't want to see you with someone else because my love is for you. You and I were meant for each other. That's the zeal of the Lord. It's also a passion for purity, a passion for righteousness, a passion for fullness. This is the mantle. This is the covering. This is the anointing. And you know what that tells me? You know what that tells us? This is the Christ. That's who's being referred to here. Because he says he puts on the garments of vengeance. Who else wore God's vengeance for us other than God himself? The very Son of God, who by his stripes we are healed. Who bore our iniquities upon himself. So you see, God looked down and saw no one worthy. Or in the book of Revelation, yeah, I'm going to make a plug here for my class. In the book of Revelation, we are told that there was a scroll of God's word and will, but there was no one worthy to open it. And all heaven wept, and God looked around and found there was no one. So God, by his own right hand, came to open it. He came to open it in the form of the lamb that was slain, the Christ who was covered in the garments of vengeance. Vengeance here is God's right to make right everything that has been put wrong, to bring light to the dark, to bring life out of the grave. That's the character of Christ. That's the cloak of zeal. Hallelujah. Ah, amen. Praise the Lord for that. So now listen to what the Lord says he does. According to what they have done, he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. Now remember, the primary enemy here is in the spirit. The demonic forces are the ones who come under the full brunt of God's wrath. 
But there is also this recognition. If you and I align ourselves with God's enemies and reject God's outreach to us, then we receive the same result as those who stand opposed to God. He will repay the islands their due. That's another way of referring to all the nations, all the continents. In other words, no one is going to escape the vision of God, and no one can escape the judgment of God. But you and I can be covered in the garments of his grace. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere his glory. In other words, the rising of the sun rises in the east. From east to west, people will recognize that God is real. From east to west, from north to south, people will bow in reverence and faith and fear of the power and righteousness of the Lord. For he will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The flood in the days of Noah was that baptism of water that brought death and cleansing and resurrection of life because out of the ark came a people who belonged to the Lord. And when they came out, they worshiped God. The breath of the Lord in Hebrew is the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God. So what's being described here is that through the Holy Spirit, there will be a baptism of cleansing for all creation. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins. Zion is the holy city of God where the Temple Mount is. It's the city of David. It's another way of saying that the son of David will come to the people of Jacob. You remember Jacob, right? We studied Jacob together, for those of you who've been part of the congregation long enough to recollect that series. You remember what Jacob means. It means heel grabber. In other words, it's another way of saying a deceiver, a liar, a trickster, someone who grabs hold and manipulates. That's the kind of thing that God saw. Even in his own people, he said, you're not getting it, but I'll get you. <laughs> we'll wrestle together. And you who grabbed heels, I'll lay a hold of your hip. I'll put it out of joint, but I'll give you a new name. I'll give you a new character. I'll put a new covering upon you. You who were Jacob will become Israel, one who reckons with God and rules, a prince of Israel, a prince of God. In other words, through Jesus, I will make you right and righteous. And how can you and I enter into that? Through repentance. We recognize that we're not righteous on our own. We recognize the need to repent of our sins. And the Lord says, he declares, there's where you know it's a promise, it's a covenant. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. With who? With his cover girl, with his bride, with his people. He's saying, my promise to you is this. My spirit, who is on you? Will you say that? Who is on you? The covering of Christ is on you. The spirit of Christ is in you. So the covenant of God is for you. And he says, he will not depart from you. My words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, on the lips of their descendants. In other words, there will be a harvest of the spirit, generation upon generation, born and bred in the word of God, the bread of heaven, the spirit of life, from this time on and forever, says the Lord. Wow, that's enough to wrap you and I in the cloak of zeal as well. Right? So the cloak of zeal that we're talking about here 
is the covering of Christ for confrontation, correction, and protection. There's a promise in that protection that I'm going to come to in a minute. The Lord is saying, I am not going to ignore what's going wrong. You may think that I am just sitting back and saying, I'll let all hell break loose. I'll let people do whatever they want. But no, I will confront. I am confronting. And that confrontation is against the powers of darkness that are over us. Those demonic powers that you and I as human beings have so often given place to and that always attempt to lie and deceive and steal and kill and destroy, the Lord God confronts them so that you and I can see Christ's vengeance is against Christ's enemies, which is the powers and principalities that oppose God. But there's not just darkness over us. We've got to recognize something. This is the road of repentance. We have to recognize that there's darkness within us. As Paul the Apostle said, that no clean thing or some unclean thing is within me. In other words, even if our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, and we are prone to give place to the things of the flesh. And when we give place to the things of the flesh, we give this as a place to the enemies of God. The things of the flesh yield to the foes of the spirit. And when we are yielded to the enemy in that way, the enemy comes and plunders our heart. Don't let the enemy plunder your puso. Don't let the enemy come and encamp in your corazón, in your heart. Repent and receive the correction of Christ because his vision is clear, like a surgeon. You want a surgeon to have good vision, right? I want my surgeon to have 20-20 vision or better. I want my surgeon to have a sharp, clean scalpel and a good, sharp mind. And that's who Christ is. The great physician who says, I see exactly what's wrong and I know how to correct in you in order to produce my life through you. There's protection in that. So that we need not fear the powers of darkness above us. Christ himself has victoriously achieved that, that winning battle already. And we need not be ashamed of what needs correction within us because Christ will redeem us, has redeemed us, and will sanctify us by his spirit. And therefore, you and I stand together in the things of the Lord, protected from the weapons of darkness against us because Christ's victory is ours. Christ's character is his victory. I am the way, the truth, and the life, said Christ. And if he's covering you, then the way and the truth and the life is within you and the battle is already won. So that protection is a promise of God. A covenant is the old biblical way of saying that. A covenant by which God has said, I will achieve the victory since none of you could. I'll do it myself in my son. And then through my son, not only will I save you, but I will clothe you with the promise of the Father, which is his Holy Spirit, in you, around you, and through you. I want to look closely at a couple of passages that carry this a little bit further. So we've already looked at the confrontation that the Lord makes with the wickedness of the world and the enemies of God in Isaiah 59. I want to take a look at where you can see this zeal of God 
reflected in the character of Jesus Christ himself. In Psalm 69, verse 9, it's a psalm of David. Of course, the, the predecessor, if you will, of Jesus, even though before David was, Jesus was. But David is nevertheless an ancestor in the earthly manner of Jesus. Jesus comes as a son of David, as a descendant, if you will, of the line of David. And so during the time of King David of Israel, he writes a psalm because, you know, David was a worshiper. And in that psalm, he says, zeal for your house consumes me. Do you remember that David was desperately eager to build a temple for God? because it was part of his due diligence of worship to God. But what the Lord said is, in fact, your son will build the temple. Now Solomon, David's son, did build the temple. And surely the Lord knew and had that in mind. But the Lord was also talking about David's son, who was his own son, who was David's Lord as well, even as David elsewhere says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. And so the Lord God was saying to David, through the Son of Man, the Son of God, the temple will be built. And David was jealous and passionate for that in the best sense. In other words, he was eager. Within the heart of David was the word Maranatha. Come, Lord, and dwell among your people and be glorified in our midst. But in Psalm 69, David is also reflecting the reality of the world that you and I live in, which is we may be eager for God, but we're weary of the world. And yet that eagerness remains. That's prayer in the Spirit. And by the Spirit, David says, I am so eager and zealous that you, Lord God, should dwell in our midst. That people even insult me for it because they're insulting you, because they stand against you. David says, I'd be willing to take the hate that comes your way, Lord God, because of who you are. That's the heart of Christ. And in fact, it's the very word of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, we are told that as the time of the Jewish Passover neared, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Why are they doing this? This is part of the religious protocol of the era that Jesus lived in. They were only allowed to make their temple offerings, which were said to be offerings to God. And indeed, the scriptures does, does describe them. But they were only allowed to make their offering in, a, in a, per, a certain denomination of currency. So they had to have money exchangers. Now, what happens when you go to exchange money? Uh, if you go to the Philippines, you go to exchange money, you lose a little money in the process, right? Because after all, there's an exchange rate and then there's a fee. The person making the exchange charges a fee. And if everybody that charges that fee gets together and says, Hey, if we all agree that that fee should just go up and up and up, what are you going to do? Because you got to exchange the money. And that's what these people were doing. They were using the temple to make money for themselves. They were using a house of prayer like a bank of interest for their own selfish pursuits, making it harder for people to come and worship the Lord, making it easier for them to get rich off of it. They had to purchase certain animals in order to make sacrifices. But if everybody who sold those animals agreed that we'll just raise the price on that, they could gouge the people. And that's what God saw. And that's what infuriated Jesus. He said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. He made a whip of cords and he drove those people out. He scattered the coins. He overturned the tables. He sent the doves free. And 
his disciples later on remembered Psalm 69. Zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your righteousness, Lord God, and your presence in the midst of people will be what brings me to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous misfortune, to suffer the oppression of God's enemies. The Jews responded to Jesus when he did this, that is, the Jewish leaders. After all, Jesus was a Jew, and so were all of his followers. But the Jewish leaders said, what authority do you have to do this? How do we know? Show us a sign. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Yeah, sure, they said. It took 46 years to build this temple. That was just the latest one. The temple had been destroyed at times past. But that one took a generation or two to build. And you're going to do it in three days? But he was talking about his body. And you are the body of Christ. He wasn't just talking about his physical body. In the same way that when God spoke to David about a son, he wasn't just talking about Solomon, although he was talking about Solomon. So he was also talking about the Son of God. And here, the Son of God is not just talking about his body, he's talking about yours. He's saying, you also will be rebuilt in me, the body of Christ. And later on, the disciples, who were right there and heard it in that moment, but didn't comprehend it, later on, they believed it, they received it, and it became a covering of Christ and a covenant promise to them but it involves a correction as well. You and I can't come under the covering of Christ if we're not willing to receive the correction of the Lord. Look with me at Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the resurrected Christ appears to a man named John on the island of Patmos, follower of Jesus, who is there suffering during a time when the world has gone crazy indeed when people who follow Christ are being put in prison for it. John is on this island alone, and Jesus appears to him and says, I've got messages that I want you to give to my people at these various churches. And he writes messages to seven churches of the ancient world. Now, there's a variety of ways that this can be interpreted, but one of the ways that has been a a classical mode of interpretation, it's not the only way, and not everybody uh, finds it appealing, but I want to present it to you today, is a progressive notion that the churches that are described are not only the seven real physical literal churches in locations in ancient Asia Minor that are being addressed, but also a way of referring to the church throughout the age of the church. So that when you get to that seventh church, it has often been interpreted as being descriptive of the church in the very last days. And the sad thing is that church, which is in a place called Laodicea, is the only one of the seven churches that Jesus addresses in which he does not give any commendation. It's only correction. He does not say they're doing anything right. Instead, he says, you've gone lukewarm. I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold because those kinds of waters have power and, 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 and principles of usefulness. Hot water was propulsive and was considered medicinal and useful. Cold water had a preservative effect, but lukewarm water, tepid water, I just spit that out, says Jesus, vomit you out of my mouth. Because he's saying, you don't have any passion that makes you burn hot for the Lord. You don't have any persuasion that's totally dedicated to the cold, steely resolution to stand for the things of the Lord. You're just here. You're just sort of sitting there. 
You think you're rich. You don't think you need anything. But you don't realize, you don't see, you don't have my vision to recognize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What if this is a word to the church in the last days? You think you have everything you need. You think you're doing things right. But what I see, says Jesus, is that you need me more than ever. And that your lack of passion is fatal. That if you don't let me reignite that fire within you, the light will go out. But the promise of God is, if you'll come to me with repentance, I'll come to you in my spirit and with power. Do you know that Laodicea was known as a banking center? It was known as a place of tremendous wealth in the material sense. It was also known as being a place that was prized for the black wool cloth that it made. There were natural resources there that enabled them to make a wool cloth that was very satin-like or almost silk-like, and it was very fine, very expensive. That's part of how they made their wealth. And also, there was another natural resource nearby. There were mineral resources by which they could make a particular distinctive eye salve, an ointment for the eyes that was to heal. Jesus is playing on all the things that the city is known for. You're known for being rich, but I tell you, you're broke. You're known for having this fine, elegant cloth, but I'm telling you, stop being dressed in black and put on the white garments of, of light. It's not about color. It's about the distinction between where light is absent and where light is present. He's saying, you think you can see because you're known for healing eyes, but buy eye salve from me. Buy from me, he says, gold refined in the fire, fire of the spirit, so you can become rich in the things of the kingdom. White clothes to wear, so you can be pure in the things of the Lord. Eye salve for your eyes, so you can be healed, so you can see. Those whom I love, says Jesus, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Let's hear this from the Lord today as we come to our conclusion. Let's hear the Lord Jesus saying to us today, I don't come to correct you because I don't love you. I come to correct you because I do. Because my love for you is so great. Because I'm jealous for you to receive the fullness of my promise. Look at how Revelation 3 continues into the next two, three verses. I rebuke whom I love, so be earnest and repent. I'm right here says Jesus. The Lord is at hand. I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. Doesn't matter how wrong you've been. Doesn't matter how far astray you've gone. Doesn't matter how lukewarm you've gone to being. I'll come warm you up. I will come light you up. I will come and dine with you. And you'll dine with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. In other words, remember when the Lord said, I will do this with my right hand? That's where Jesus sits, at the righteous right hand of God. Jesus is saying, I'll make you like me. I'll put you where I am. I'll stand with you. I'll sit you with me. You will experience my victory. My victory will be yours. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit is saying, you and I 
are invited to come into the full character of Christ. And Jesus has already done everything that you and I need in order to receive everything of who he is. In these days, Mangakapati, let us put on the belt of truth that gathers together all of our wildness and readies us for the righteousness of God so that we can advance honestly without falsehood or fear in the character of Christ. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, the purity of the puso ng Panginoon, the heart of God, which would cover your heart with his courage and his conviction and his character. Put on the shoes of the good news that'll keep you solid and steady in the patrol of peace so that everywhere you go, you're carrying the joy of the Lord. You're proclaiming the truth of God. You're revealing the covenant of the Christ. You're praying in the spirit and advancing the kingdom with the shield of faith raised high over your life and linked side by side with those with whom you believe. Not just the, the brothers and sisters of this local congregation, but of all Christians everywhere, side by side with the faithful, fearlessly standing against the fire of the enemy with the helmet of salvation on our heads so that we're not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, transformed in conformity to Christ and his eternal life that salvation has afforded for us with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God that rightly guides and divides with truth the truth of the Lord, so that you and I can be cloaked, covered in his zeal. God's got your back. He has cloaked you with his righteousness. He has covered you with his grace. He has filled you, if you follow him, with the passion, the purity, and the power of all of his promises that enable you and I to pray in the spirit and achieve victory in the world. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. He has overcome our sin. He has promised eternal life, and he is coming again. Today is the day. Today is the day to receive the joy of the Lord. Today is the day to believe the warning of Today is the day to say, I don't want to hold on to any kind of wealth that isn't of you, Lord God. I don't want to achieve any kind of status that isn't about you, Lord God. I don't want to trust anything I see, anything I think, anything I know, unless it comes from you, Lord, unless it's in your vision, from your word, in your life. Friends, as we conclude, let's come before the throne of grace boldly, but humbly. Bold in the things that Christ Jesus has done for us. Humbly repentant of the things we've done against him and against one another. For whenever we have sinned against another, we have sinned against God. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our sins. You know our hopes, both broken and buried. You know our need. 
You know our fear. You know our faithlessness. You also know our faithfulness. You know where we've held on even when our strength was low. You know where we've held tight because we, we just couldn't stand to let go of you. You know where we've suffered because of you. You know where we have been willing, Lord, to forsake something precious to us because your will for us was more precious than that. You know our highs and our lows. You know our ins and our outs. You know us, Lord. But we want to know you. We want to know you in the beauty of your suffering. We want to see you in the power of your resurrection. We want to be with you in the glory of your everlasting life. Father, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fill us with your light, your truth, and your hope. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Just say that right now. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, yes, I will. I cleanse you. I equip you. I cover you. I conform you. I transform you. I redeem you. I will reward you. Your place is with me. Do not be afraid. I will not let you fall. Even though you should lose your life, your life is hidden on high with me. I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. You will not give up. You will not give out. Because I am for you and not against you. I am with you and will not abandon you. As long as you receive me, I receive you into the uttermost of my kingdom and the innermost of my temple, the innermost of my heart. For my zeal, says the Lord, is for you. And by the zeal of the Lord of hosts, I shall do this. Hallelujah and amen. We thank you, Lord God. Praise your name. Thank you for being present with us. Thank you for streaming with us, or if you're watching this recording, for being a part of our gathering.